Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort. Guest line is Owen Brown. Let me remind you about Owen's background. He's from Washington, D.C. He attended Occidental College out in L.A., and he joined the golf team as a sophomore and gradually moved up to be their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, all-SCIAC golfer in 1980 and 1982, and he received an at-large invitation to the NCAA Division III championship. He was inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame in 1997, and the Golf Annual MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984. He won four times on what was then the Nike Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and again in 96. He's won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open by chipping in from 40 feet to defeat Stuart Sink and Larry Mize in a playoff. He won the 1999 Colonial and the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award. And over the course of his playing career, he's had five wins, 46 top 10s, and 108 top 25s. Included in those five wins are two so far out on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open and the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship here in Atlanta. Kicked off the 2019 season a couple of weeks back with a tie for 20th at the Mitsubishi Electric Championship out in Huaylai. And he's the coolest internet jockey you'll find anywhere. And I am thrilled he is back with me tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Owen. Thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And, uh, you know, every time you said this is my sixth time back on the show, I can't believe you keep inviting me back. I guess I haven't said anything really <laughs> stupid to online, but they're on air. I thought I'd try and do it tonight. It helped you out. <laughs> uh, I don't feel like you have to now. I mean, I love having you as part of the show, my friend. So. Stick with you know me now. I, I, heard you, I heard you in the intro pumping uh, Fred Slick, and we played the senior PGA there. I got to tell you, and I got to tell your the listeners how good the hotel there is. It's an old school hotel, you know, high ceiling rooms and great restaurants. There's a lot going on. There's a lot there for not only golfers but for the family, the kids, and it's a it's a heck of a resort. Yeah, it is. I, I had the privilege of going up there a couple of years ago, and we spent some time with the family there. It's absolutely fantastic. They've got two uh, hotels there on the property, plus they've got a casino, and then they've got the Pete Dye course, and and uh, you know all the all the golf courses on site are just absolutely outstanding. So, kudos to you. Thank you for saying that. I'm sure they'll appreciate it very much. I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on the new rules, particularly about the caddies lining players up and penalties being assessed around that. We've seen it have a big impact on uh, Hao Tung Lee a couple of weeks ago. And then just this past weekend at the Phoenix Open, Denny McCarthy was assessed a two-stroke penalty, which was ultimately rescinded, which I find very interesting. But do you understand the rule and how it's being handled? Is it being done properly? What's your thought? Well, I haven't uh, I haven't been confronted with the situation yet. I, I of course, saw what happened on Hao Tung Lee up in uh, – in, uh, the Far East a couple of weeks ago, and then what happened to Denny McCarthy? Uh, I guess I guess the nicest way to put it is there's a lot of confusion about what's going on, and um, and I think I think that the powers that be, having seen the way things had been going the last couple of weeks, decided to take a step back and do a reevaluation of things, find a better way to apply the regulation. Certainly, what happened to Denny McCarthy in Phoenix 
looked uh, – it's plainly obvious there's no intent, which is what they're trying to deal with. They're trying to deal with the intent of a caddy aiding a player to the extreme, right? And it's it's obvious uh, in Denny's case how, you know, he made a couple of practice swings and he backed away and the caddy was already out of the picture. You know, the rule, uh, I guess, is written in such a way that that didn't have an impact in the assessment of the violation. But uh, I think that the players were really vocal uh, in their pushback on it. I think that the uh, officials on the PGA Tour um, passed that information along to the to the powers that be and maybe they thought they needed to reevaluate and uh, have a you know clearer parameters going forward. But certainly, I'm speaking secondhand. I don't. I haven't had the experience myself. But it certainly you know looks confusing. And and to your point about them assessing the penalty and then rescinding it the next day, you know I, I've got a short, a bad short, short and long term memory, but I can't ever remember uh, an infraction. Um, holding a, a shot penalty or two shot penalty or whatever it is. And then 24 hours going by and, and the, the uh, infraction being rescinded. So, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, I think the intent of the, of the regulation is to ensure that the player is dealing with that kind of thing on his own, that he's the one who's setting up to hit the shot and he's not getting aided by a caddy. And, and I, I just think they're trying to get their minds around it right now. Oh, and what about the flag stick? Is that something you're going to use now when you're putting? How frequently do you, you anticipate using or keeping the flag stick in? I don't get it. I don't get the flag stick coming out, uh, leaving, leaving the flag stick in. I, I, I take it out uh, as often as I can. Sometimes I pull it when I'm chipping. To me, if the hole's four and a quarter and the flag stick is a half inch, well, that's a half inch less room. And if the ball's coming in um, at an let's say, uh, an imperfect speed, the flag stick could help, right? But, but I think, I think we've seen lots of shots where, you know, you maybe hit a chip from off the green and it clanked off the flag stick and you said, oh, if I'd have pulled the flag, it would have gone in. Or, I mean, I think that's, you know, kind of anecdotal and, um, subjective, but I think there are a lot of people who believe that, uh, look, if you take a glass of water and you fill it to the brim and then you drop in a couple of ice cubes, the water overflows. So to me, if the flag sticks in, it's taking up space. I don't get it. Some of the other things that uh, we've seen going on, Owen, is I've, I've seen some awkward looking drops now that you can, you know, guys can now do it from, from knee height. Do you think changing from shoulder height was something that needed to happen? I, I don't understand the, the need to go from uh, dropping it at shoulder height all the down to knee height. What what do you thought? Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. You know, some somewhere somebody came up with this idea. It looks to me when the guys are take, taking drops that they got stomach cramps. They're trying, you know, they're trying not to, <laughs> you know, it's just I I don't know. I don't get it. Um but the USGA and the RNA felt like this was going to facilitate pace of play. Now I think I think a lot of these reg these new rules are kind of circling the Pace of play concern, leaving in the flag stick, for example, you know, m- maybe dropping from knee height and show, set a whole shoulder height so the ball doesn't carry them and go more than two club lengths. Um, I think there, I think there's a, a lot of concern with pace of play, but pace of play can be solved. Nobody wants to solve pace of play. Okay. So every golf telecast is supposed to end at the top of the hour, whatever that hour is, whether it's five, six, seven PM, doesn't matter. As long as, as long as the tours begin 
play so that so that there is room to finish at the right time. I don't think there's a lot of concern with pace of play. They it's been proven. Everybody knows who the slow players are. They don't want to single out the slow players. They don't want the officiating to kind of encroach on the competition. They don't want the outcomes to be determined by shots given or confrontations with uh, officials. And and as a result, they're trying to they're trying to figure out a way to deal with pace of play in in other ways. One of the other things, Owen, that we saw over the weekend was uh, Ricky Fowler <clears throat> taking a triple on eleven on Sunday because. You know, when he played, when he placed his ball over the backside of that green and then started walking away, the ball moved and rolled and rolled back into the, into the water. Have you seen stuff like that happen? What, what do you, what's your thought on that? It's clear that he didn't initiate the ball to roll. He didn't cause it to roll. But when you put the ball back in play, everything is subject to whatever mother nature wants. Have you seen that happen before? And what are your thoughts on that rule? Actually, I have seen it a couple of times over the years. You know, with golf, uh, with, with agronomy on the golf courses and and uh, shaved banks and so forth, those kinds of things can occur. For people who didn't see what we're talking about, you know, uh, Ricky had hit a pitch shot from just short of the green that didn't quite catch and, and released over the back edge of the green and caught some momentum going down a hill, avoided a bunker, ended up going in the water. Uh, it was a, a penalty area, they call it now. I mean, it was still wet. Still water to me, but it's called a penalty area. <laughs> so he, he took his point of relief and uh, dropped it a couple times, and the slope was so severe that it rolled back into the penalty area, so he was entitled to place that ball. As that ball doesn't come to rest, he's entitled to move it to the closest point at which it can come to rest, and he did so. Uh, and the ball had come to rest, and then he climbed the rest of the hill to go and get a better better look at the at the hole. And, uh, you know, the, the break of the, of the chip shot he was going to hit. And when he was up on top of the hill, he turned and looked at his ball and it got a little bit more momentum rolled back down in the water. So he incurred another penalty shot. And, uh, that's just one of the kinds of things that happen occasionally in golf. It was a really unfortunate break for him, but it didn't affect the outcome. And then ultimately, um, you know, he made a great putt for a, a triple bogey save, which really, if he doesn't make that, you know, now that changes everything the rest of the day. So. Um, th- that was one of those, uh, unusual circumstances that occur occasionally in this game. And, uh, it, it does happen. It's very seldom that it happens, but yes, I have seen it happen before. Oh, and now talking more about you and, and what your plans are for 2019. Do you have a set of goals for 19? Are there things that you've got, uh, earmarked that you're trying to achieve this year? Yeah. Well, I'd like to play better than I did last year, but that's a pretty, the the bar is pretty low on that because my year last year wasn't anything to write home about. I I, uh, I struggled with some you know nagging stuff you know shoulder and elbow and stuff like that. Those seem to be doing better this year and you know got got the invite to Hawaii to start off the year, which is such a great place. I mean, four seasons Hawaii, Big Island. The weather was absolutely perfect. It doesn't get any better than starting your year out there, in spite of the fact that they. Three days, three trains, two horse buggy rides, a couple of cabs, <laughs> and a, you know, to get there. Uh, it's still a beautiful place. I've got good friends there. And so it was good to start the year there. Um, this year, I'm turning 60 mid year, which is a little bit of shock of a shock to my system. Uh, but as my kids will tell you, I may be 60, but I'm still very immature. So I figure that'll carry <laughs> me 
for a while longer. And uh, I just like to, I just like to, you know, continue working on the things that I can do to make myself a better player. Obviously, my skill set is, you know, slowly comp- compromised over the over the course of time. I mean, that's just life. Everybody has to deal with that. And uh, I still love what I do. Uh, I'm motivated to play well. And uh, so that's because my goals are kind of nebulous at best, except that I just want to play better. I want to get in the winner's circle again. And uh, I want to, you know, I want to contend more. I, I, I didn't play very well last year. There were a variety of reasons why that didn't happen. Uh, and I'm addressing those and hopefully I have a better year this year. To take that a step further, Owen, are there things that you're working on to improve your game over last year? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think that as you get older, it's hard to stand on the range and get five, six, seven hundred balls a day. I mean, there's still guys who do it, but they don't last very long at our age. And so they're, you know, I spend, I spend more time on the putting green. I spend more time in the short game area. Uh, those are important. You know, those are the scoring areas. I, I, I'm never going to, I'm never going to obliterate a golf course in my driving. You know, I'm mean, going to get, I stand on the team and use the driver to get the ball in place so I can hit a quality iron shot within range where my putter can make a putt. You know, that synthesizes the essence of golf, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's about keeping the ball in front of you, getting it into position where you can uh, where you can score and shoot a good score. And so uh, certainly the last couple of years, I've dedicated myself more working from the green back towards the tee. I, you know, I'm still obsessed with, you know, hitting it farther just like everybody else. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, I'm just, I'm just, trying to get the ball in play so that I can get it somewhere near the hole so that I can make a putt. And if I, if I putt like I'm capable of putting, I can contend any given week. Um, you know, historically, my, my, my tournament wins have been on the harder courses, the courses that are a little bit more demanding to the green. And I, I, I keep the ball in play out of the rough and out of the trees and make a putt here and there. And lo and behold, sooner or later, you know, the stars align and whoop, Whoops, I, I get to hoist the trophy. So that, that's where I stand right now. That's what I'm looking forward to doing this year. And like you mentioned a moment ago, you, you will turn 60 this year. Is 60 bothering you? Um, no, just the way I feel, you know. <laughs> Stuff aches. You know, you wake up some mornings and you go, well, that wasn't bothering me yesterday. Um, no, 60 doesn't bother me. <laughs> so, and you guys are in uh, Boca Raton this week for the Oasis Championship and then over to Naples next week for the Chubb Classic. And my good friend Tom Patry is over there in Naples saying, and he always says, putting in Florida isn't really putting because you're doing it on Bermuda grass. Do you find it more challenging to putt when you're down and you guys are making the Florida swing? Well, there's some elements that are different on Bermuda grass than there are bed grass or on Poana. But I will say that in particular, in the last probably 10 or 15 years with the evolution of Bermuda hybrids, that the grasses that we see are so much better than they were. I mean, common Bermuda was a horror show back in the day, right? Uh, it's like putting on Kukuyu. It was thick and coarse and grainy. And if you didn't understand what it does, how it grows and how it affects the putts, you couldn't make, you couldn't make a, a, putt, a putt from 18 inches. All these tiff eagles and tiff dwarfs and mini verdes and you know, whatever else they've conjured up here in the last generation of, of, uh, agronomy, uh, the surfaces are so great. Um, and, and they can get speeds almost to the unplayable. I mean, regularly at my course here where I practice at home up at Hope Sound, uh, we have greens that are in the 13 plus range on the stint meter, which is just lightning fast. And, uh, and so, 
it, once you develop a knack for, for putting, for reading the, the conditions on a Bermuda grass green, uh, I don't think that's any more difficult to putt than bent grass. And, uh, but of course I've been down here the last 35 or six years, uh, learning it. And, you know, th- those kinds of things are, are a process. They do take time. When your friend Paul Azinger has taken over in the booth now for Johnny Miller, what can golf fans look forward to with Zinger calling tournaments now? Uh, well, Johnny, you know, is, a, is kind of an icon in the business. I mean, he was the, the lead guy and the guy that kind of set the bar for everybody else. Paul has had a pretty good career out of himself. He did a great job when he and Nick Fowler were teaming with Mike Tirico over on ESPN, and he's been over at Fox the last couple of years for the USGA series. Um, Paul's smartest guy as I know. He's intuitive. He's, uh, I think I tweeted this out the other day. He's honest. He's sincere. He's colloquial too. So he'll deliver, he'll deliver a piece of information to the viewer in a way that, that we can all understand. And I'll give you an example. He was playing in the Ryder Cup against somebody. Can't remember who it was, but the guy tried to pull a fastball on him. And instead of saying that guy really ticked me off, he said, my face got hot. Well, everybody knows what that feeling means, right? And so he has a way of delivering a message that is understandable, not just to golf fans, but to everybody. And he's also very insightful and, uh, has a, has a kind of a, he's got a good sense of humor and a, and a interesting way of looking at things. So I think, I think he brings a lot to the table and I don't think NBC will be, be, uh, missing a, a, a beat at all with, uh, John, uh, Paul taking over for Johnny. And Owen, as we look ahead to later this year, we've got the U.S. Senior Open going to be played at the Warren Golf Course out at Notre Dame. You ever you ever played there before? And is it going to be different playing a major at a college golf course? I haven't played there, but I've gotten some scouting reports. It's a core Crenshaw. Um, I've heard it looks like it's been uh, growing for a hundred years. The trees are all uh, you know, they're all mature and the holes look like they've been there forever. I honestly don't know if it was a redo or if it was a, a you know, an initial project, but I, I have great respect for, uh, Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw and the work that they do. I really enjoy, uh, their style of, of golf course. And I have a lot of respect for a guy like Ben who has such a, such a deep and, uh, uh, historic love for the game of golf, and he he takes that and he applies it when he when he participates. You know, he and Bill do their collaborations on these golf courses, and I just I fully expect to see as good a golf course as we see all year, and on the campus of Notre Dame or adjacent to it or whatever. It's going to be in a great part of the world for us, and I'm looking forward to playing there as I do every year for the U.S. Senior Open. Owen, just a couple more before we let you go. And you've got your son, Owen Brown Jr., uh, playing out on the McKenzie Tour now. Talk about the state of his game. Yeah, he's actually uh, matriculated to web.com. He uh, is down in Panama this week. This will be his first start of the year, and he's excited. He's been playing really good golf. He actually uh, had to qualify to get into the tournament, but he shot a really solid round of golf at Weston Hills, shot 64, was medalist. Uh, down there qualifying and he, uh, he's been playing very well down here on the local mini tour, the minor league tour. He won, uh, he won a couple of day event last week. I think he shot, uh, 
11 under for the two rounds, ended up winning by a couple. Um, and he is, you know, he's, again, you know, chipping away at the edges of what he wants to do to make himself better. You know, it's everybody, everybody shows up in this game as a rough cut diamond and, um, or not even a cut diamond, just a rough, a rough diamond. And you chip away at it until you, until you get to the place where you want to be, where you can apply your skills and showcase them. And so, uh, you know, I've been really enjoying being part of his journey and it's a long, it's a long process, longer for some than others, but you know, he's still a young man and he's showing some signs of, of uh, really getting better. He's improving every year. That's really all you can ask in this game. If you hang in there long enough, you're going to catch a break and you can take advantage of your break and then you're on your way. And the Brown family is, continues to be even more talented. Your daughter is one heck of a singer. Talk about her. Yeah, Alexander has a lot of fun with that. She's a singer-songwriter. She's uh, done some production of her music in Nashville, Los Angeles, New York, too. Uh, she just released a new single called uh, Rain in California. It's up on iTunes. Uh, Spotify, she's got a station on Pandora, Alexandra Brown Music. Um, and, uh, you know, she's really, I think she's got a lot of talent. She has a lot of fun with it. And uh, I'm hoping that she gets to achieve every uh, extent of her dreams that she's looking for as well. And uh, you are the finest internet disc jockey on the planet. You always throw out something in the morning. So uh, let's... Uh, what are some of the favorite songs that we might be able to look forward to that you might put out there in the next couple of days? Oh, it's, it's a great question, Chris. You know, I mean, I, sometimes I get inspired when I've, I, I've heard a song I haven't heard in a long while or I hear uh, a new band that uh, I've never heard of. You know, like, for example, the Patriots won the Super Bowl the other day, so I played Three Doors Down Kryptonite because it doesn't matter <laughs> seemingly, seemingly who they play, but they're Kryptonite to the other team. And, and what a run they had, you know, Coach Bill Belichick, who I played with at uh, at Hartford in the in the pro am years and years ago. We kept in touch. Um, I I have so much respect for for the job that guy does. And just when you think he's going to zig, he zags. You know what I mean? So this is the year of the highest scoring offense, and he's going toe to toe with with uh, for example Kansas City in the season. They you know it's like a forty three to forty one game or something like that. And, and then, you know, they, they just absolutely mauled, uh, the LA Chargers in the first round, or the second round of the playoffs, uh, their first game. And then they went into Kansas City and had to take down the Chiefs again in, the, in a pretty high scoring game, 38 points in the fourth quarter. And then we have the lowest scoring Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls. And, well, I've been fighting off all the naysayers here the last couple of days. They've been talking about how great was this and that. It wasn't a boring game at all. It was a really exciting game. It was a defensive battle and it was a coaching gem on the part of both coaches. I thought that, I thought that LA handled their business too. They just, you know, they let, they let the Patriots score one touchdown and that's basically the difference in the game. I mean, they attacked on an, another field goal late, but bottom line was the game was why, you know, it was tough. Nothing, nothing in the first quarter, three, nothing at the half, three to three in the third quarter. And then, uh, and then the Patriots pulled it out at the end. So, um, lots of exciting stuff in sports these days, I, I think. Well, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Looking forward to 
catching up with you at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic, which is uh, going to be played here at TPC Sugarloaf. It actually takes place, at least the first rounds, on, on my birthday, so I look forward to being out there and watching you play well at that event, and nothing would make uh, my birthday happier than to see you uh, at the top of that leaderboard. So I hope, well, you know I hope what? I that really happens. Appreciate it. I, I do love that golf course. Greg Norman built, uh, designed it. Uh, used to be a, a, a stop on the PGA Tour. It's now a stop on the PGA Tour Champions. Another Mitsubishi extravaganza who's a great supporter of PGA Tour Champions. And I always love coming up there, and I'm looking forward to coming up there this year, too. Hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Owen. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon, my friend. Happy birthday to your mom, too. Ah, thank you very much for that, Owen. Take care. You will. That's a great Owen Brown. And folks, I, I, you know, a finer individual you will not find. And, uh, I am certainly excited to, uh, see what he, uh, builds on. Again, finished tied 20th out at Huaylai and now getting, getting into the Florida swing. So I'm hoping to see Owen at the top of leaderboards throughout this year. And, uh, and again, be sure to follow him at Owen Brown on Twitter because, uh, he got a lot of great stuff out there. And uh, again, what a great internet dish jockey. Always a great song to kick off your day. Look forward to having him back on the show again real soon.